you want to be around other people that give you energy instead of take energy from you. Uh, and if you can have a crew of people like that, you can get through a lot of adversity and still come out the other side, liking each other and, you know, relatively feeling good about what you did. Um, even if it means you have to fix something. Welcome to Pictures Up, the podcast where we talk about careers in film. Today, I'm talking with Leif Ramsey, creative director and CEO of Pathfinder Films in Chattanooga, Tennessee. They've done work for clients such as NBC, Florida Hospital, Hilton, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, uh, VaynerMedia, and uh, the Navy as well. I think actually as I record this, Pathfinder's on a shoot in San Diego with the Navy. Anyone interested in leadership, entrepreneurship, producing, directing, those types of skill sets, this is a great episode. Leif and I both have a connection to Southern Adventist University, and we refer to that institution several times throughout the podcast. Also, we worked together uh, on a film called Secret of the Cave, which the university produced, but we tell some stories and so on about that as well. So let's go ahead and jump in. First of all, Leif, thanks for taking time to uh, come and visit with me for a few minutes. Um, we just got out of a presentation that you gave uh, about work that you've been doing with the U.S. Navy, which uh, was off the charts, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, very outstanding. Um, and I just kind of wanted to connect with you. I've heard you speak a number of times about some of the kind of things I'd like to ask you about. Um, we've known each other for quite a while, and so I've had sort of a fairly near seat, I would say, to, to seeing you... Uh, go from being a student to uh, having a quite successful production company here in Chattanooga. Hmm. Although a lot of the work that you're doing is not here in Chattanooga. You seem to travel here and there. Correct. So I guess maybe to start with, could you give me a quick overview of what you're currently doing? Like what's what's your vocation? So if I'm meeting someone for the first time, I say I run a production company and that we do primarily commercial production. Um so what that actually looks like in practicality is we often work directly with companies or directly with ad agencies that are working for brands um, to create video content that they need. Um, it's often actually digital. Like we've done a few pieces, maybe two or three that have been for broadcast, like kind of your traditional commercial. But for the most part, it's uh, for a digital platform. And so therefore the format can be very flexible. Uh, so like, I think the longest piece that we've done in the last year is about 50 minutes long. And it was a educational piece, uh, for Shaw floor or Shaw industries, um, about acoustics and building design. And it was a continuing education unit, uh, that they would, uh, then distribute to architects and interior designers and building developers. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you know, we've done a lot of work for the U.S. Navy this year, uh, and that work has been for their website and for uh, their YouTube and other social channels. And it's basically to show uh, all the different jobs in the Navy and being used for a recruiting purpose. Each of the videos is about uh, somewhere between 90 seconds and two minutes long, I'd say, or two and a half minutes long. Um, very, very specifically focused around um, what that job is, what it looks like, why sailors are doing it, um, and designed to attract recruits. 
the uh, content, it sounds like, is largely, uh, I could maybe broadly say, internet distributed. That's, sure. That's the, the, the medium, if you will, that your work is going on. And it's interesting, you know, if somebody had told me, you know, at some point in the past, a few years ago, that people would be shooting airy cameras for internet deliverables, it would be like, okay, that's interesting. But that's the world that we live in now. And uh, we just saw a number of the pieces that you did for the Navy, and um, they just look fantastic. Um, and you also took us through a little bit about the bidding process and the process of client relations and so on. I guess if we were to rewind the tape a little bit further, uh, what has been, like, could you summarize your sort of career path from the time that you were a student, which you had a, you got a degree in graphic design, to what you're doing now? What, you know, what were the big decision points? And, like, t take us through those inflection points and where they took you, if you can. So I'm going to start back in high school. So in high school... I had some interest in the arts, like just kind of in general. Uh, and I think my interest first started with drawing. Okay. Um, and it was something where I was homeschooled through high school and it was, uh, you know, my parents were like, Hey, if you have an interest in the arts, like, let's see if we can get you in some art classes. Like neither of them were artistically inclined necessarily or, or had skills in that area. And they were like, let's see if we can get you in some art classes and see if that's something that, um, you know, you might want to pursue more. So I ended up going to uh, Rogue Community College, which is a community college in Oregon, and taking some classes as a high school student, like college classes. Dual enrollment um, kind of yeah, things? Yeah, dual enrollment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and took, oh, I want to say like two or three drawing classes, a painting class, um, and just enjoyed it, right? Like, wasn't there necessarily for the academic credit. It was more just there for like, what is this thing? And the exposure like, how do you to make them? art yeah. kind of. Um, so that attracted me to actually look at Southern, like as a, you know, high school senior, um, looking for schools to come to because I knew that Southern had an art program, uh, and I wanted to go to an Adventist school. Um, you know, it would have been much closer to go to someplace like Walla Walla or PUC on the West coast. Right. Um, but came out to Southern was impressed with like the art program and was like, yeah, like at least for the first like year or two of college, like, let's see if, let's see what this major is like. And like, let's see if it's something that I want to turn into, uh, like a career. So I think the decision point for graphic design was just looking at the different available options and saying like, Hmm, I think this, uh, major applies the best as like something that I can make money with after I get out of school. It seemed like a, a reasonable and practical choice for somebody with the interests that you had. Yeah. 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 And I think, maybe I was more interested in illustration when I first started school. And then I kind of realized that I wasn't really good as an illustrator. <laughs> like <laughs> it would take me a long time and a lot more effort than I was willing to invest to get good at, uh, illustration. Um, it, you enjoyed it, but <laughs> you could see it, uh, having diminishing returns financially based on the amount of time input. Maybe, maybe. um, not even financially, just as much as like, I don't know if I had the discipline to overcome what I perceived as others having like more natural ability I see. Uh, yeah. in that area. So uh, like, so graphic design was the major that I chose uh, and was going through that track. And then 
right after my junior year, decided that I wanted to go abroad, went to France uh, for school there, uh, like through an exchange program, a language learning program. And it was when I was in France that I was like, hmm, I don't know if I want to do graphic design forever either. And they had some cameras there. Like at the time it was, um, man, I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was something very rudimentary uh, that shot to tape. Oh, okay. Video camera. Yeah, video camera. Okay. Um, like a mini DV. I think they maybe even something. had like uh, like a Nikon DSLR of some sort or something too mm-hmm. that I shot on. Um, and shot some videos just for fun. Like, because I had free time and was interested in, like, doing something with video uh, that was, like, kind of narrative. And, like, there it was a small school. There was maybe 70 students. And so, like, we had free time to do things that were just for ourselves, essentially. And this was early 2000s. Yeah. So this would be 2002, 2003. Okay. Really liked that experience mm-hmm. and considered actually changing majors to film production but it was really hard for me to do that when I only had one year left to graduate with graphic design. Right. So I came back, um, and finished the graphic design major at Southern. Um, and that senior year, uh, tried to get on some student projects. I think I did get on a few student projects and maybe even shot like a video of my own, like that I had kind of written. Mm -hmm. I think I still have the script quote unquote for it, which is basically just like bullet points. And it's really funny to look back on. And then heard about Secret of the Cave, which was a feature film that Southern was developing that you were um, producing, actually. You were the producer on. Right. And then ended up being DP during production as well. But I think you were the lead producer, weren't you, for Secret of the Cave? Okay. Yeah. A little piece of context, I guess, for listeners. I was a teacher. I am a teacher in the program here at Southern Adventist University. And Leif was a student. And this is, you know, was part of the story that we're talking about is, you know, 10, 12, 13 years ago, something like that. Hmm. And I'm just a little older than Leif, uh, but as we both get older, it seems like a narrowing gap. Uh, <laughs> seems like say. we're close to closer to the same age now than we used to be. Certainly true. Um, but uh, yeah, so Secret of the Cave. It sounded like you know you were interested in travel and you were interested broadly in art and had a growing interest in film and video. Mm. So it sounds like it was an opportunity that fell sort of. It seemed like an obvious opportunity, maybe from those fundamentals. Yeah, I don't know. As a design major, that wasn't something that was necessarily a natural fit because you guys were looking to crew the film um, at the time. And I remember there being a uh, kind of pitch process almost like for like people that were interested that weren't film majors. Right. Um, In- to, to maybe have the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I remember putting together a video uh, or shooting a video with some of the film majors that were friends of mine. And then like putting that together as part of like kind of the interview process. And then, uh, I believe I put together a resume actually like with some job experience, work experience kind of stuff in it. And one of the things that I think stood out to you and Zach, Zach was a uh, director on the film was set like a uh, construction experience that I'd had when I was in high school and college. Right. Um, and so that seemed like it was maybe a good fit for helping with some of the set construction that was happening on that film uh, before production. And then ended up getting on the film and being in the electric department during production. I think, what do we shoot for, six weeks? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, something mm-hmm. something in the six-week range. And that was kind of the trial by fire, like not ever really being around a film set before that. Um, like learning all the terminology very quickly, like learning from the gaffer that was a pro gaffer. Uh, there was student you know, crew underneath, uh, pro department heads on the production, learning from the gaffer on that shoot, like, you know, about the different 
lights and how to set things up in a way that was safe on set and like what the different terminology meant and so forth. And just really enjoyed the experience, even though it was very hard, like physically demanding and long hours and lots of rain and cold and so forth. And I think that was the moment that I fell in love with film, Hmm. but I didn't know exactly what that meant. Yeah. Like I didn't know where that would lead. Secret of the cave. We could talk for the rest of our time about secret of the cave. Probably like jumping vans. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, I'll never live that down. I'm just going to leave that right there. Um, But I think it's fair to say if that experience uh, gave you a love for film, it gave you a fairly, like there were definitely cool things about that project. No question, but it was not a glamorized view. I don't think It, it was a view that showed, I think a lot of, what characterizes being involved with with film as far as you know you're outside a lot long days um troubleshooting weird situations that that you may not feel adequately like you're just like well i have no idea but we're gonna figure it out somehow so you came away from that experience feeling like you had an interest in film but not knowing exactly where you fit so what what was next (laughs) Uh, next was I mowed lawns. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I had just graduated, uh, in May, right. And the film was shot in, uh, June, July, uh, kind of that zone, if I remember correctly. Yep. And so I had the rest of the summer and I had also been talking to some friends of mine that were, that I had gone to school with in France and, um, they were organizing a road trip. Uh, like a three month long road trip down to South America, leaving from Colorado, driving. That's a van. right. You had a va- uh, there was a van, and yeah, I remember mm-hmm. some good stories from that trip. Yeah, but, yeah. And so that was kind of the next thing that was the priority, which was basically more adventure with people that I hadn't seen since I was in school in France. So it was kind of like an opportunity for the old gang to get back together and like do some wild world traveling. Yeah. <laughs> so. So mowing lawns was the intermediate kind of like make some money somehow during the summer. And if you're mowing lawns in Tennessee in the summertime, it's actually pretty brutal and kind of the exact opposite of being in Ireland uh, during the summertime. Yeah. Um, So Tennessee is in the 90s and high humidity in the 90s probably as well. Uh, And I found out that summer that I was also allergic to like some of the grasses and other pollens and who knows what um, outside. So it was... (laughs) Not the easiest time. Uh, And I don't think I'll ever really mow lawns again. (laughs) But uh, so went on a long road trip. But professionally, I would say that, like, I didn't really start thinking about what would happen really after school until um, I got back from that road trip to South America, which was in January or December. I guess it was just before the holidays that it was year. The five, so five months, six months, six months. Yeah. So yeah. it was basically about six months that I took off after graduation to travel and have life experiences. Right. Before I started thinking about like, how do I make money? Um, so, um, so I think the, I came back to college Dale, which is where Southern's located and, and, you know, kind of the community right around the, the university and, uh, stayed like at a friend's apartment in a laundry room. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> cause that was where there was free space. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, at the time, like my strongest skill set 
you know, I still felt was graphic design because that's what I've been trained to do. I'd done some freelance while I was in school. Um, that was something I was familiar with, like doing logo designs or doing layouts for, you know, people's needs, small businesses, or an individual would come and say like, Hey, we need a design for this. And I would say, great, hundred bucks and I'll work on it or, you know, whatever they had. Right. right. So I felt like I could earn some money that way. It was definitely better than mowing lawns. And that was the thing I tried to ramp up right away. Uh, like after getting back to the U.S. in November, December of that year. There's less hay fever involved in uh, mouse jockeying than uh, lawnmower jockeying. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Mark Thomas was like starting to work on some of the publicity for Secret of the Cave. And um, he was one of the people that I touched base with. Uh, like when I got back and basically said like, hey, I'm back in the U.S., um, if you've got any design work like related to the film uh, or anything else really that you need help with, I'm around and like happy to help and so forth. So it was kind of a combination of freelance and some of the work that Mark was able to give me like right off the bat that uh, kept me going that first year or that first like six months or so. Mm. And then at some point in that um, timeline, I remember having a conversation with Mark and saying like, hey, I did freelance work when I was a student in school. It was very ad hoc. You know, someone would show up um, in the department and basically say, I need this done. I'm looking for a student that can do it. And one of the teachers would point out a student and say, that student might be good. Um, or they would connect with the student directly and, and the student would end up doing the work. And so I kind of pitched Mark and I said, what if we, I don't know, what if I was able to find work like that and bring it in? And initially it was design work because that's all I really knew bring it in. And then, you know, there's some people that are students that are, you know, still my friends that are designers and I know them and like they could do some of this work, but they're not going to go out and look for it necessarily. And maybe we can organize it a little bit better and like kind of create a little bit of a system. And so Mark was open to that idea. And I don't know conversations that happen behind the scenes or if there were any conversations or if it was just like kind of that loose. Um, but he was basically like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's try it. So you basically agreed, and there is a train tracks here, but I'm, I don't care. <laughs> it's just a train. What you're saying is that you volunteered to go out and get some work yeah. and sort of do some of that yourself and share some of it around as, you know, as the supply and demand, you know, fluctuated. Yeah, it wasn't formal. It was just okay. like kind of as simple as that as I remember it. Yeah. So, um, did that work? It kind of worked. Uh, Mark was helpful actually. Like, so th there were some things that I learned from Mark about organization and, um, about, I didn't know how to invoice really. I mean, maybe I had done some invoicing. I'm not really sure. Uh, like when I was a student, but Mark definitely like understood that process and like other accounting kind of things that were helpful. Cause he um, had an MBA. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was able to give some like structure, some actual like kind of business structure to the idea, which was nice. And then also kind of point me in like directions to go like, hey, if you want to expand this, like maybe you should go down and like there's chamber meetings. Do you know what the Chamber of Commerce is? And I was like, no, I don't know what the Chamber of Commerce is. Uh, he's like, well, it's where business people meet. And like you could go down there and like meet folks at different chamber meetings around town and and so forth. So that's kind of where I started. Um I wouldn't say I was terribly successful with that. I think I was like mostly just a little bit lost. I'm not sure why I'm here at this meeting or who these people are, but let's see what it's about. Hello. Yeah. 
yes, this is who I am. Okay, I'll be sitting here. Okay. I, it, it, it wasn't very, like, I don't know how effective it was, but it was good exposure. Yeah, well, it, it seems like in hindsight, it was a place you should be. Mm. And you you had to start somewhere figuring out, like, how to how to make that interface work, yeah? Yeah. So I think to sort of zoom forward, like over time a little bit, um, the thing that ended up kind of happening and working out well is it, it was a mix of like internal on-campus clients and some external clients um, that sort of kept things moving at enough of a pace to like kind of keep me around and, you know, make it from year to year, so to speak. Um, there was no like... Um, formal salary or anything like that it wasn't even a position like it was right. just simply like i'm gonna bring this stuff in and we'll see if we can get it done very pragmatic it, it was sort of like a um it was essentially freelance work yeah. that you had sort of helped create a certain environment for that freelance work to continue to function through kind yeah. of yeah I don't know. yeah so the thing i knew throughout this like kind of journey of figuring out like how to make money after graduation and how to like sort of get freelance work and fulfill that freelance work and so forth was that I was still interested in film. Um, but I didn't really have a lot of skill sets beyond the experience that I'd had on secret of the cave working in the electric department. So there was various projects that came up over the course of years, like not over the course of months, but years, um, where I was able to get experience in different roles on a film set. So some of those were student projects, some of those were school projects, um, and by school projects, I mean university projects for the marketing department or for uh, like kind of a more broader effort for the entire film department to go out and shoot a short film or, or right. something like that. And was able to gain experience in different roles on set. So I think, uh, you know, I did some grip work on Marvels of the Throw, which was a short yeah. uh, that the school shot, you know, with Melody George. Um back in 2007 um that was a fun shoot yeah yeah it was yeah. cool it was very cool mm -hmm. and then i also remember working in art department a decent amount on a few different productions and then as part of the art schools uh marketing uh there was a, a webisode series like at the time webisodes were kind of a big deal yeah like all these people were shooting videos on dslrs and like putting them up and yeah the webisode was a hot thing right um so the school wanted to do their own webisode. Uh, by the school, I mean the art art school wanted to do their own webisode uh, series to attract incoming students. And that was actually an opportunity for me to get some experience in post, like on the editing side. Um, I'd never really done any editing uh, per se before that. Uh, so I remember Zach working with me to like kind of teach me the ropes of like editing and pacing and some things like that mm. um, so that we could do that series. Um, I think it was a while after that before I got, I felt like I had enough confidence and maybe enough exposure, like being still around film students in the film program and so forth that I went out and shot an interview by myself. Like that was kind of a big moment, like where it was just me, one guy setting up the camera, was setting the up audio in LA. It was before the LA trip. It was, uh, for an individual that found me on production hub. And we were shooting on an HVX uh, okay. 200, I think. Yeah, like set up the camera, like opt it during the interview, set up the audio for it and everything. And 
I learned a couple of things from that. Like one was I could do that. Yeah. Like I had enough like sort of technical skill that I could do that. So there is some confidence built there. Um, and the other was that I didn't want to be a camera operator or a DP. Okay. So, so right. Kind of learned two things. One about myself, both about myself, but in different ways. Yeah. Um, so there was kind of this intentional and unintentional process of acquiring skills from all different aspects of filmmaking. Yeah. Script writing was not a thing that I really did much of until later on. And it wasn't like your traditional narrative script. It was more uh voiceover kind of style writing. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but no, 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 it's good. But I think there's a piece of the puzzle or maybe part of the story. Um, it's, you know, you mentioned Mark Thomas, and he was working with the university running uh, a production company, mm. and you were his successor in that. So I think at the same time that I was building, like, some of these skills and, like, trying to get on various projects, whether it was student projects or whether it was something that had a client, um, um, I also had the opportunity to step into Mark Thomas's shoes uh, because there was a transition there and actually uh, run the production company. And there was a production company established like within the School of Art at Southern and um, had the opportunity to bring in more client work, like oversee video projects and so forth. Like one of the first projects that I remember or like from a big scale, like taking a lead producing on was Washed Away. Yeah. Um, And it was actually a church uh, from Bristol, Tennessee, a few hours away from us. Uh, and the pastor there really believed in video being an important part, film specifically, yeah. of their mission uh, and outreach to the community. And that pastor came and he said, hey, you know, I, I want to make a film that's a story, that's a good story, that speaks to the mission of our church, right? That we can share with our community and that like brings folks in from the outside uh, that maybe aren't exposed to church. And he actually had a decent budget. He had $25,000 that he was able to put towards the project. I believe it came from like church member contributions or a specific church member might have contributed it. And so that was a big deal because it allowed us to have actors and it allowed us to do some kind of cool uh, stuff on set with vehicles and, uh, you know, wreck a truck into a creek, which maybe in hindsight was ill-advised. But we had, we were able to have like a production that, you know, you were involved with as a DP, mm-hmm. Zach was yeah. involved with as director, and it felt like another like larger scale short film production. Yeah, it felt um, it felt legit. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, it felt legit. And that was my first production producing something. Um, I don't remember what my biggest learning curve was, but I think I remember there being a large gap where we thought it was going to be produced like at one point in the year and it didn't end up being produced until six months later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were going to shoot it like over Thanksgiving, Mm. like late November. And then I don't remember exactly every reason for us postponing, but I remember it being a very good thing that we did because we went and tried shooting some underwater material in late November and it was it was like twenty degrees or something. It was re- it was terrible. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, a couple of things I remember from that was um, as the producer on it, uh, I sort of felt a weight of responsibility for everybody on the project mm-hmm. more than I had as crew on other projects in the past. 
Um, the there was a couple of things. One uh, was like a confidence thing. Um, like we had brought in a different producer initially, and uh, like to be the lead producer, and I would help him out and kind of like learn the ropes from him mm. um, on the project. And then when we ended up moving dates, uh, I think it was you or or maybe you and Zach or Zach. I'm not sure that said like basically like I don't think you need another producer to learn the ropes from. I think you can just carry this. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess like, let's, yeah. All right. Let's try it. Like, I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I guess if you are cool. The other thing I remember from it was at the time, uh, just based on, on life experience, I wanted to pay everybody on the crew something, even if it wasn't like the rate that they should be getting. I wanted people to be paid, not just working on the shoot for free. Right. Um, and I remember we were getting close to production and um, Zach, uh, who was directing the film, uh, said, why don't we take the amount that you're going to pay me and use it in a different way and give it to this other person that I think can really help us get the project done. And for me, that was a big moment because it was the moment when I realized that Zach was bought into the project, not just for like doing a cool film thing, but that he actually wanted it to be good. And it was also a big moment for me because I realized that $25,000 was not very much and that what we were doing was way too ambitious for kind of the budget that we had and the time that we had. It's your classic like day late, dollar short kind of story, right? But like everybody has that experience and that was like the project where that hit home and like sort of sunk in like what that actually looked like and what it meant for the crew and like what really long days look like when you were trying to cram a lot in with yeah. not enough budget. I mean, this isn't going to sound like that big of a number by today's standards, but this was a while ago, and I think we had 40-something setups, I think, in that one room. Yeah, it was a it was a workout. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was good. I, I, You know, interesting hearing you describe it as day late and dollar short. In my experience, it was definitely not as day late and dollar short as sometimes things are. Like I felt like it was it was on the edge where it definitely felt like it could explode if things didn't go right, but I felt like we did pull it off. Like I felt like it was ultimately a successful shoot. It was. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. The, and the end product seemed like it, it it's one of those that seemed like it turned out. I yes. Guess. Yeah. I think it was a successful shoot for sure. I mean, I guess the biggest marker of success when you're making a short film is that the thing actually gets finished, right? Yeah. Like that's that's a, a success. Um, the other thing that was kind of cool about it was uh, music licensing. So for the film, we actually got a Christian artist, uh, Bebo Norman, and first time sort of navigating the music licensing world, um, ended up contacting him through his agent, uh, like kind of sending him a letter, showing him a cut of the film, and he agreed to let us use the track. I can't remember if it was for free or some sort of nominal fee, but like basically we got the track for way less than it would be licensed for normally. So there was a number of things, music licensing being one of them, that were first experiences for me, producing on the film, like the like realizing sort of the the decisions that you make from a producerial level, how they affect the crew, whether it's about time or it's about budget or it's about locations or it's about conditions. You mentioned a truck and a creek, but we we crashed it kind of off of a bridge. Like it was it was not a like we had no. Should business. we talk about that? <laughs> we probably had no business doing what we were doing, but it all turned out, <laughs> and it was it was definitely production value. 
I mean, <laughs> like, I think when you watch that sequence, like, when I go back now, it holds up. Like, it's pretty compelling. It is. Yeah. yeah. So, just to describe it briefly, um, uh, there's a key scene in the film where, um, you know, a, a father and a son get into an argument inside of a truck as they're heading down a country road. Um, it causes an accident where the truck actually goes off the side of a bridge uh, or off an embankment instead of going across a bridge and yeah. ends up in a creek. Um, and that was a, a practical effect that we that we did on set and actually, you know, uh, sent a truck over the side of a embankment, uh, probably 25 feet or something, 20 yeah. feet. Enough that the truck was nose down, you know, definitely by the time it was hitting the water mm -hmm. and it impacted into the creek. And then we had to deal with the aftermath of that after we got the cool shot, which was the truck getting washed uh, a few Away. hundred yards <laughs> down the creek, which took uh, some farm equipment and tractors and so forth. And uh, most of the rest of the day to try to recover. <laughs> yeah. The water rose between when we had scouted and when we filmed. And so the creek was like this, swollen torrent instead of like this little lazy creek <laughs> yeah it was good fun though hmm. just as somebody who's known you for quite a while and we've worked together sort of intermittently over a quite long period of time even when you were a student you always struck me as somebody who you could just you could trust with an assignment like hmm. if if you were given something to do I, I, you know if if i gave you something to do I didn't really have to think about it again. Like I knew it was just going to be done and maybe there would be variables here or there, but I knew it was going to be, it, it was going to be appropriate or what was needed. Like um, you've always had a really good sense. I think of not just taking on a task, but sort of trying to look at it through the lens of whoever you were working for and figure out like, okay, well I think uh, you were good at seeing the bigger picture. And I think that that's really important at being able to successfully troubleshoot. And it's interesting, just coming now from the presentation where you talked about how you got the the contract with uh, to do the work for the Navy. I think you're still doing. That's my, it's my sense that you're still doing that, and that that that's still a big part of the reason that you're successful is because you can um, you can successfully consider the big picture and consider how you're factoring in to everything as it goes up the food chain hmm. so i don't know like um that's not a skill everybody has hmm. uh frankly and i i'm curious if you're like if the things that i'm saying if you're actively aware of them or if they ring true or like can you talk about that is that something that you've consciously thought about or is it something that you intuitively did i guess maybe that's a way to think of it uh task completion 100 percent um yeah like that's something that's like <laughs> probably annoys my wife um because like i'm the type of guy that's like oh the drawer's open i gotta close it you know like or if i'm working on something it really bugs me to like have to stop working on it before it's done okay like that's one of the things that like i find super frustrating just from a personal like kind of habits level so the task completion side of it i would say so and i would say like on the other side of it like the thing i enjoy about like what i do what we do is learning about like what other people are doing and why they're doing it like sort of the reason for what other people are up to so like i think that applies well to you know something like a client relationship or to a 
uh, to coming into something that has creative and needing to fulfill the next step in that creative or, um, you know, working with someone that's say like a marketing director and they're like, we have this goal, but we don't know what we need to do to get to that goal. We know we need to make a video, right? And kind of having that open-ended thing. For me, that's an invitation to start asking them questions like, yeah. oh, well, why do you have this goal? Like, what, what do you do? Like, why do you guys do this? Like, why is it important to get this out to your customer? Who is your customer? Like, how do you interact with them? Um, so that's kind of the chain reaction that kicks off. And the satisfaction, I guess, that comes from solving a problem is like the thing that is rewarding on the other side of it. Let me just reflect back at you, and maybe this is an over the oversimplification, but it sounds like in many ways what you're describing is you're just curious, like you're naturally curious about how things work and what's mm. going on and how to solve problems. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, for sure. And um, curiosity by itself is great because it's a motivator. I think it doesn't always mean that you're going to deliver quality or like a good product. I think curiosity by itself is just the motivator to get you started. Yeah. Um, and then the other side of that is uh, like what I would describe as the satisfaction side of it is like the, like I have personal aesthetic standards and I want to see those aesthetic standards met in like a film or like, you know, I have personal standards about like what I think is a good story or what makes something compelling or, or why a shot is good. And so it's very satisfying to marry the two, like both like, yes, I'm satisfying my own curiosity uh, and helping someone solve a problem. Like that's fun for me. But yeah, um, to do that in a way that like kind of elevates, whether it's their brand or their voice or, uh, you know, what they're trying to do um, to do that with some artistic integrity and creative integrity and, and kind of like show it to other people and have them be excited about like what that person's up to like that's satisfying. So, so again, just sort of reflecting back to you, what I'm sort of hearing you say is that there's, you know, some combination of artistry and craftsmanship that's important to you. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, just put super, uh, simply like doing a good job that you care, you take pride in the work that you do. So there's curiosity, there's taking pride in the work that you do. And I think there's a there's something that in your presentation, you know, you talked about a few very challenging situations that you were put in, mm. um, which uh, I think raises sort of the aspect of problem solving. You mm. know, what, what, what role would you say problem solving plays in really your functioning as a producer, a business person and producer of film's content is that is that fair well you, you're direct as well you're directing a lot of this content too yeah yeah um i don't really think of myself as a producer anymore although okay. like i think of the skills that i use are probably producer skills right okay um yeah what aspect is problem solving play i for me it's really important to know why someone's doing what they're doing so from a client level, it's really important for me to know why they're making this video or why they're doing this series on sailors or why they're um, making the, a, a commercial or an educational unit for architects or whatever. Like, I really want to know the reason why. And then like once I know the reason why, I feel like I can make good decisions for that person creatively, like throughout the process. Um, the times when things get off the uh, like kind of off the rails and when I feel like the relationship isn't really working is when someone feels like they have to go into sort of a command and do mode 
Um, and what I mean by that is like, they cut it right here, frame the shot this way, put this color of thing in the scene. Like that's kind of failure for me, right? Like I would much rather have someone say, Hey, um, you know, maybe we don't have this on set because it actually makes us look more like a consumer brand instead of like someone who's talking directly to you, um, architects and building developers. Right. And then I can be like, Whoa, great. Like let's switch it out. Like that makes a lot more sense. Um, that gives me direction for, you know, the thing that we're going to do on camera after this, which is talk to one of your customers and I'll ask them questions about this during the interview and, and so forth. So like problem solving, I think is like figuring out the why, um, and then the layers, everything else sort of trickles down from that. Um, like anything from the decisions that you're making with your crew, like on set to, to whatever. Tell us about what your your vision for the future is for Pathfinder. I, I, we may have mentioned Pathfinder, but we haven't really addressed, you know, that's your production company. It seems, you know, just watching your progress has been, frankly, inspiring to see what you guys have been able to do in such a relatively short period of t- How long has Pathfinder existed? Not quite three years. Oh, that's that's unbelievable. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's next? I think the thing that I really enjoy about running a company and like being completely self-directed, like running your own thing, right? Like having your own business. I think the thing that I enjoy about that is it's your own playground to like learn and also support yourself. And those two things don't seem like they should necessarily be connected, but they are. I want to keep doing stuff that's creatively different or like that that's pushing some sort of boundary, right? Like whether that boundary is like, wow, we've never flown a drone around a, a warship at sea before. Like, that's kind of a cool boundary. Like that's definitely something that's really neat. And like, now we can go do that again. Or whether it's like, we've never shot a musical before. I wonder how would you shoot a musical? Like, how would you actually, like, how do you create score and lyrics and then go out and execute that like on set? Um, those are the challenges that I think make working in this type of business really fun. Yeah. And then I, I would separate that and I would say like, running a business is fun intrinsically um, because you're able to make decisions about the type of work you do, the people that you work with um, both like the people that you work with side by side and the people that you work with as clients. And it allows you to grow really quickly, I think as a person. And so that's something that like I want for the future of Pathfinder for like everybody you know, not just for myself, but for Chris and for Lucky. And, um, you know, we have a producer now that's there, uh, Derek and yeah, so forth. So, and like folks that have interned, like, I, I think there's opportunities for people to grow quickly. And like, I think that's something that we're about as a company. The other thing I would say is like, there's financial benefits, right? Like there's like some benefits to being able to live your life on your own terms and mm-hmm. like kind of be ultimately the one that's responsible for your destiny. Uh, so if we don't go out and find work, we don't get paid. It's pretty simple. (laughs) Right. Uh, how much, how much risk tolerance do you have to have? (laughs) A decent amount, but it, but it doesn't have to be crazy. I mean, like you can set up your company. This is a different podcast, but (laughs) sure. You can set up your company in such a way that like you kind of treat yourself as an employee, Um, so an emergency fund is something that's super valuable and it helps mitigate risk from a financial perspective. We're in an industry where there's ups and downs and there's always going to be ups and downs. There's always those feast and famine moments. Um, 
you don't have a f- control over the fact that like you might get five calls tomorrow where everybody wants to do projects in February. Right. All at the same time. And there's not a lot you can do about that except try to say yes to as many of those as you can. Right. Uh, and then realize that two months later, you might not really be working on anything. So you better be working on your business, like whether it's your marketing or whether it's your sales or, you know, whatever, but you can mitigate that risk by having an emergency fund by, by basically like smoothing out those bumps in the road. We pay ourselves a salary and we pay ourselves a salary no matter what happens every month, because that's the best way to live your, I I think the best way to live your personal life. Uh, and the business kind of absorbs some of those ups and downs. I see. We didn't have that right away. The first year is definitely like when things feel super risky. Um, something that I was pretty committed to when we started the company was not taking on any debt, which is kind of unusual in a production company because equipment seems like the thing that you have to have. Right. Um, we sort of figured out a way around that by renting everything uh, that we needed except for our personal computer stations and some software that we would license and so forth. So yeah, that first year, the risk was really high, uh, because we were basically living, living off of personal savings. Um, you know, the, the sales cycle is long and also the getting the money cycle is long right here in the commercial side of the business. Um, so even if you've completed a project, let's say your payment terms are 50, 50 or 50, 25, 25, where you get 50% upfront and then the rest upon completion, it may be another 90 days, which is three months before you actually receive that last payment after you've invoiced for it. And that happens at the end of the project. So cash know? flow, so, just simple yeah. cash flow yeah, yeah, becomes a thing. Yeah. So yeah. the risk is high, but it becomes less and less the longer you're in business. Well, as you, as, you, you as, as you attain more success, yes. it seems like, yeah. yeah. Your, your, your margins get better or your buffers or however you want to look at that. You have to be intentional about it, though. Like, if you yeah. don't set up those systems and, like, have the discipline to stick to them early on, yeah. um, your problems will only be amplified as you get bigger projects and, and larger budgets and so forth. Like, it tends to amplify problems, not diminish them. So That makes sense, because if you have a bigger project, suddenly you have a bigger cash flow cycle. You know, the the, the spikes and valleys, all of that, has to have some sort of a system that keeps everything on an even keel. <laughs> yeah. So if you have pro- yeah. like trouble, say, protecting your profit margin, yeah. um, imagine amplifying that on a project of like $300,000 and then suddenly you've done half a year's worth of work and you've got no profit. Like that's a big problem. Right. Uh, and it, it's much harder to fix large projects than it is to like mess something up on a $10,000 project and then do another one and fix your problem on the next one. You know, we could talk for quite a while, like about, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff, but, um, final question. When you look for someone to come onto a project to help you, Mm. what, uh, what are the earmarks? What are the, what are the things that you look for? Technical skill is important. Like somebody who's actually good at their craft. Yeah. Um, and somebody that's not afraid of long hours and hard work, that's also important. Um, in my experience, film production is never, it's rarely ever an easy day. Like yeah. there's always something that happens and you always have to kind of push uh, through that day and, and be ready to go again the next day. Yeah. Positive attitude, that's super important. Um, it's a collaborative medium. It's a collaborative 
profession. Um, you want to be around other people that give you energy instead of take energy from you. Uh, and if you can have a crew of people like that, you can get through a lot of adversity and mm. still come out the other side, liking each other and, you know, relatively feeling good about what you did. Um, even if it means you have to fix something. So, and then I guess the last piece is people that aren't afraid to share advice or give opinions. Mm. That's really important for me. Candor. Um, yeah. And just like, I want to know if my gaffer has something that he thinks that's not even part of his department, but I want him to know that he can speak up and say like, Hey, what if we did this? Or, uh, this isn't really working. Like, can, what, what do you, what do you think if we tried this instead? Mm. Um, like I want that type of feedback. Like I want a very democratic set. Uh, that's my personality. Not all directors yeah. are that way, but that's important to me. Well, I think that philosophy, I mean, it tells me a bunch of stuff, but one thing that it tells me is that you seem like a, a, a sort of person that would be enjoyable to work with because you value people's collaboration. Mm. Like you value being collaborated with. That, that's, that was my takeaway from some of the things that you said earlier as far as like, you know, well, why don't we want purple in this shot? Mm. You know, if you, if you know the why for that, then, then you're part of the team that understands what's happening. And it sounds like that is one of the things that you do for the people that work for you. In other words, you appreciate their participation in the the process. I think it also shows that you, I think one of the hallmarks of somebody that's good to work for is somebody who has a certain degree of just sort of security. It, it, you're not insecure. Mm. Like the one of the hallmarks of somebody who's very insecure is they don't want to hear anybody else's opinion, right? They don't want the gaffer to say, Hmm, the way you wanted the lights isn't quite working for me. That because that would be threatening, right? So I guess what I'm trying to say is that those sound like really great things to be looking for. And they say it a lot about who you are as a leader and as a filmmaker. So Well, thanks for taking time today, Leif. Sure. It's absolutely. been fun to sit down. It's been fun to see your uh progress. I look forward to seeing uh what the future holds for Pathfinder films. And um yeah, just thanks. Cool. Thanks for having me on the show <laughs> yeah of course all right plenty of food for thought there right and uh, also quite a bit of inspiration it is pretty cool to see what Leif and his colleagues at Pathfinder Films have been able to accomplish in the relatively short period of time that the company has existed I really think the sky's the limit for all of them over there this is actually not the last time we'll hear from someone with Pathfinder Films so stay tuned for that episode. We'll get a lot more into the nitty gritty of some of the projects that they've shot, uh, working on aircraft carriers with drones and things like that. Uh, pretty, pretty cool, exciting stuff. So we'll catch you again next time. Mm -hmm.